Hello and happy Friday, friends. Hello, Lisa. Gosh, I hope things are well in Connecticut and it is only one month and three days before I get to see you. Can we get a hallelujah hanky wave on that? And Anne-Marie, good morning. And it is only one month and five days before I see you, correct? We made a deal on Facebook. She's bringing me a kitty and, um, and coming for the conference. It's a done deal. The, um, the Facebook agreement is solid and binding. Know that. Somebody, somebody get a signature on that. <laughs> we shall see Anne-Marie very soon, friends. Oh my gosh. And Virginia. Good morning, Virginia from Topeka. So here we go. I want to talk. I want to talk about the plunder. Shut up. The Lord can provide for both. Come on, Anne-Marie. Oh, ye of such little faith. The, the Lord, I can hear him. No, I won't be blasphemous. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yes, I, I just, I speak abundance over you that you would be able to do all the things that you want to do. Anyway, I want to talk about the plunder. How, how appropriate. I want to talk about the plunder. Happy Friday to you too, friend. I miss you. Um, you, you just, you know, there, there is, there is Anne Marie online and then there's Anne Marie in person. And she's the kind of person that if she's sitting on the couch, you just feel compelled to plop down on top of her because she's just comfortable. She's comfortable. So anyway, there you have it. That's Anne Marie. Um, so the plunder. Okay. So we have been talking a lot about Israel being delivered from Egypt. And, and that's such a huge story. There's so many parts and pieces. And last week we talked about the days of deliverance and, and what that looked like for Israel. I mean, like they endured a lot. They endured a lot before they were finally like released from um, Egypt's hold. And, um, and on their way out, they, they took everything, you know, like they, they, they went with a lot. And, um, and there's, there's a, a portion of scripture in Joshua that, that lays out, um, a, a story of, of plunder and, um, they're going in to defeat Jericho, to take Jericho, basically. And, and the way that they do it is totally uncanny because that's God. He has crazy ways of, of doing things, things that are nonsensical to us. And um, but the story and I'm not going to read it to you. I'm just going to paraphrase. Go read it for yourself. But something in there happens like they were given very specific instruction on what to do. There was one man among them who actually took when they were plundering. God was very specific of the things that belonged in his treasury. And and this man took things that belonged in God's treasury for himself. And, um, you know, he was found out because the favor of the Lord was lifted from, from the people and, um, and Joshua intended to get to the bottom of it. And so anyway, the man outs himself and it's severe. It's severe. What happens, you know, it's not just him that paid the price for, for his actions. It was his entire family that, that paid the price and the price was death. And, and so I want us to be really mindful 
of um, of the the plundering because we know that that God intends to return everything that has been taken from us. We know that anything that the enemy has taken from us has to be returned to us sevenfold, and and so there is a recompense that is coming. In this time, like these are the days of deliverance. And so on the backside of that, there will always be a recompense. You can look at any story in the Bible. And this is true. There is always going to be a return of of some sort. And you can even look at what Jesus accomplished on the cross. You know, he, he there is the first Adam and and we all went down with the first Adam. Right. And and then there's the second Adam and and all were swept into what Jesus did on the cross. And so there's always a great plundering that takes place. And um, yes, Virginia, his justice. And, and that's what we need to be really careful of is that, that we are, we are holding righteousness and justice in attention. And so I want to, I want to get into the story of Job. And, um, but I also want us to, to have a, another thought on, on the forefront as we're reading this, um, that the very people that God rescues out of Egypt, the very people that he places gold in their hands, right? They, they are part of those carrying out the plunder, the Lord's treasury, if you will. These are the same people that took the plunder to create an idol. When God wasn't enough, when they were inconsolable, they decided to take the plunder, to take the treasury from the Lord's house to create an idol. You know, they, they constructed a, a gold calf. And I mean, have you ever actually like allowed yourself to sit in that and think about how long of a process that would have been, they would have had to melt a whole lot of stuff. And then, I mean, like, I don't know the process of how all that's done, you know, how, how metals work and all that, but this wasn't just like haphazard, like in a moment they erected this idol. This was something that took process, I'm sure. And so I just want you to think about that because it is really, really important that we are mindful in this season, in these days of deliverance, that we are actively participating in what it is that God is doing, that we are allowing him to enter into our soul and sweep out every corner and every crevice like he has asked. He is looking to purify his body, his bride right now. And hi, Chris. Um, and we need to, we need to be participating in that. This is like, this is the assignment at hand is that we fully participate in what it is that that he is constructing for us. We can very easily just show up, you know, like we can just show up. We can just be a person in the room. We can just be a person in the space. We can just kind of go along for the ride. But the problem with that is that you will end up being one of those people who has the the shiny gold contents on your hands from erecting an idol sometime later. 
if you do not allow him to do the intended work on the inside. Okay. Did I do that thoroughly? Are we all on the same page? I hope so. Okay. I want to jump over to Job because I think that this is like such a perfect story from us for us to really like understand the intention of the Lord when he is when he has us on assignment, when he, it, when he has an intention in mind, he will see it through, you know? Um, it's, it's so, it's such a fascinating story. I, you know, I realize that some people don't really care for the book of Job, but I happen to love the book of Job. I realize that it's, it's got its pain points, but it's such a, an incredible story. God put so much value and trust in this one man that he knew that he would not fully turn his back on God, which is just absolutely beautiful. And we're talking about somebody who withstood a whole lot of pressure. You think you got pressure? Have you lost everything yet? You know, and that's what he's taking us down to, right? Like he is stripping all of the things from our lives that serve no purpose whatsoever, that bring him no glory whatsoever. And that's why we exist, right? We exist to bring him glory. And so if there's things that are part of our lives that he's going like, you don't actually need that. We just need to be open-handed with it and be like, you're right. Take it. Okay. So we're going to start in Job 28 and I am going to jump around. Um, this, the, the subtitle of Job 28 is a hymn to wisdom. So if you're reading along with me, I'm in the CSB and it says, surely there is a mine for silver and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the ground and copper is smelted for more. A miner puts an end to the darkness. He probes the deepest recesses for ore in the gloomy darkness. He cuts a shaft far from human habitation in places unknown to those who walk above ground, suspended far away. From people, the miners swing back and forth. Food may come from the earth, but below the surface, the earth is transformed as by fire. Its rocks are a source of lapis lazuli containing flecks of gold. No bird of prey knows that path. No falcon's eye has seen it. Proud beasts have never walked on it. No lion has ever prowled over it. The miner uses a flint tool and turns up ore from the root of the mountains. He cuts out channels in the rocks and his eyes spot every treasure. He dams up the streams from flowing so that he may bring to light what is hidden. But where can wisdom be found? And where is understanding located? No one knows its value since it cannot be found in the land of the living. The ocean depths say, it's not in me, while the sea declares, I don't have it. Gold cannot be exchanged for it, and silver cannot be weighed out for its price. Wisdom cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir and precious onyx of lapis lazuli. You know, I just sometimes can't say the things that are in the Bible. It's fine. Gold and glass do not compare with it, and articles of fine gold cannot be exchanged for it. Coral and quartz are not worth mentioning. The price of wisdom is beyond pearls. Topaz from Cush cannot compare with it, and it cannot be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from, and where is understanding located? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing and concealed from the birds of the sky. 
abandon and death say, not abandon. Is that abandon? No. Abaddon and death say, where have we have heard news of it with our ears that God understands the way to wisdom and he knows its location for he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When God fixed the weight of the wind and distributed the water by measure, when he established a limit for the rain and a path for the lightning, he considered wisdom and evaluated it. He established it and examined it. He said to mankind, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn from evil is understanding. I love this whole layout. He's talking about all of these things that are really pretty much unknown to us, right? They're the things that, that we can't see with human eyes. And he's like, and, and, and wisdom isn't found there, right? They're, they're deep mysteries, but wisdom's not found there. It might delight you, but wisdom's not found there. Wisdom is only found in the fear of the Lord and to turn from evil. That is true understanding. We need the fear of the Lord more than we need anything right now. In these days of deliverance, we have to lean into the fear of the Lord and allow him to do whatever it is that he wants to do. You know, we need to ask for it. We need to, to be surrounded by it. We are not familiar with the fear of the Lord, especially those of us in the Western nations. It's a little bit unfamiliar to us, but we need to be asking surround us with the fear of the Lord, because this is the thing that I want to say is I, 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 no return, no plunder, no increase whatsoever. I don't want any of it unless I have the fear of the Lord, because only within that will I be able to steward well the plunder that he gives. We either will use the plunder to benefit ourselves, to put ourselves on display. That's what happens without the fear of the Lord. Or we will use the plunder to build his house. And that's what the fear of the Lord will create in us. It creates a space in us where our eyes are fixed and our faces are set like flint before him. And we know exactly what it is that he is after. We need the wisdom of God. And that is only brought about in the fear of the Lord. So I want you to say that over yourself. I want no return, no plunder, no increase whatsoever until I have been thoroughly introduced to the fear of the Lord. I'm not interested. If I don't have the righteousness to steward well the plunder, the return, the recompense, I don't want it. It will destroy us, you guys. It will destroy us. Look, look what Israel was capable of doing in that space. They erected idols. They were inconsolable. They were hand-fed by the Lord himself, by wisdom himself. 
And they still needed to construct an idol for themselves. He wasn't enough. Yes, I want no return, no plunder, no increase whatsoever until I'm introduced thoroughly to the fear of the Lord. That's what I want for us. How do we do that? The only way that I know to suggest that we do that, go low. Go low. Lower still. Lower still. The thing is, is like we are so completely capable of making ourselves feel like we've arrived. And we've not. And if you're dealing with offense in the season, and you should be, you should be, you should be, you should be swirling in offense right now. <laughs> it's just the nature of the days of deliverance. He, he causes things to surface so that he can deliver us from those things. So don't fear the offense. Allow him to deal with the offense. And the best thing that I know to tell you to do is when there is a fence directed towards someone, serve it. Serve the offense. Serve the offense. Serve the one who you feel offended with. That's how you go low. Okay? All right. I want to jump over to the good parts. You love the good parts of Job. Oh my gosh. I love the good parts of Job. I actually, I love it all. But it's very interesting to me that everything that, that Job lays out, and Job doesn't have a whole lot of speaking parts toward the end of the book, but he does start to lay out the wisdom that he carries concerning the things that God has created. And what's so fascinating to me is that it still doesn't touch God's knowledge of all that he has created. And God is willing to say so. <laughs> you know, he shows up on the scene, just he's had it, doesn't want to hear another word from these fellas. And, and he just begins to respond. And it is several, several responses to all the things that have been conjured up during this time. And so we know that, that God, I mean, can you imagine this moment, honestly, like he, God shows up in a whirlwind. This to me, I don't know, I'm familiar with tornadoes and, um, and I know how destructive tornadoes can be. And, and so this is, this is the Lord showing up. Um, actually the other night on Wednesday night, God was like, Angie, call me Elohim. And, and I was like, who, I don't feel like I'm so familiar with that name. I know it's his name, but I wasn't so familiar with, with that name. And, and that's actually the name in, in Genesis where it says in the beginning, God, right? God created the heavens and the earth, but Elohim means with strength and might. And what was so funny to me is that like, when he's asking me, Angie, call me Elohim, um, he was flexing. And um, because isn't God fun? He just is. You know, it can be like this most serious moment. And then he does something that like my teenage boys would do and just start like flexing as though he's in the mirror. And and when he is talking to us, he does consider that a, a mirror, you know. And so there he is. He's like, call me Elohim. And um, but what was fascinating about finding out that that 
that is the name used in that first line of, of our, our Bibles is that in the beginning, God, in the beginning, Elohim, in the beginning, sheer might and power created the heavens and the earth. And so we can take from that, that there was probably a, it was probably somewhat of a violent act to carve out the heavens and the earth. And not that it takes God a whole lot to do something, but I think that that's how he's showing up here with Job. He's like, huh, well, I'll show you, you know, and, and he shows up in all of this power and all of this might. And then we have in um, chapter 42, Job replies, he says, I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? Surely I spoke about things I did not understand. Things too wondrous for me to know. And the thing that we need to really realize here is that in the beginning of Job, we're introduced to him as a man of wisdom. He is someone that the entire town came to for counsel. So he's someone who knows. It's not like he's just some Joe off the street that doesn't has never been introduced to God. No, he's considered a man of wisdom. And here he's saying, I spoke about things that I did not understand, things that were too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. When I question you, you will inform me. I had heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I reject my words and am sorry for them. I am but dust and ashes. Have you ever felt like you, you were in a season where you were like, really, I, I know God, I know what it is that he wants. And then you get into the next season and you're like, it's all rubbish. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can't even believe I said that. Especially if you, you, you teach, <laughs> you look back and you're like, what was I thinking? <laughs> That's what it actually looks like to grow from faith to faith, from glory to glory. If we're not looking back and being like, ah, that wasn't the whole story, then we haven't grown. So it's okay for us to admit that like, oh, that wasn't, that wasn't all of it. That was an, that was an introduction. There was an introduction to, to that portion of who God is. But I, I, again, this is a man of prominence in his community. This is a man who is known as a God-fearing man. And he is like, I heard, I only heard reports of you. I merely heard gossip of who you are compared to what I know right here in this moment. That's the fear of the Lord, you guys. That's what the fear of the Lord does. The fear of the Lord comes in and all of a sudden you're like, I know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know, it, it takes us back down to knowing nothing but the fact that somebody gave it all for me. The fear of the Lord just renders us just stripped down to absolutely nothing but the main thing. Verse seven, after the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz and Timonite, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Now take seven bowls and seven rams, go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. Then my servant Job will pray for you. 
Interesting. I will surely accept his prayer and not deal with you as your folly deserves. For you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Then Eliphaz and Temani, Bildad and Shuhite and Zophar and Namathite, who comes up with these names, went and did as the Lord had told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. This is fascinating. Now we can look at the rest of this book and be like, now that's recompense. But listen, in this moment is the most significant restoration that the Lord does in the man Job. When he points out the flaws of another and then puts it on Job, it's on you. I want you to pray for them. Now, if you've read through the book of Job, you know that Job's children, his first set of children, they were partiers, right? They loved to host affairs. And and Job every morning would go and he would repent on behalf of his children. So this is a man who knows the heart of God. This is the man that understands forgiveness. This is a man that knows that he can stand in that gap and cover others in forgiveness. And so God takes that measure right there and he he multiplies it and says, now Job, I'm offended with them. Cover my offense. Pray for your friends. This is the most significant restoration in the whole story. This is the greatest plundering right here. Well, where he restores the nature of Job back to him. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. And and Job could have very easily stayed in his whiny state, but he didn't. He followed through and he prayed for his friends and they were restored to the Lord. And then in verse 10, it says, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and doubled his previous possessions. All his brothers, sisters, and former acquaintances came to him and dined with him in his house. They sympathized with him and comforted him concerning all the adversity the Lord had brought on him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold earring. So the Lord blessed the last part of Job's life more than the first. He owned 14,000 sheep and goats, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He named the first daughter Jemima, his second Keziah, and and his third Corinne Hap. No woman, no women as beautiful as Job's daughters could be found in all the land. And their father granted them an inheritance with their brothers. His daughters became co-heirs. This is a beautiful story. Job lived 140 years after this and saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. Then Job died old and full of days. Wow. Wow. Now, had Job been restored like that without the introduction of the fear of the Lord, we wouldn't have seen the same result. We wouldn't have. The fear of the Lord becomes the most prominent actor, if you will, character, if you will, in the story. 
it's it's go back and and just read through Job 28. We we really need to get this in in our hearts. Like this is the most important thing about us is that that we call on the fear of the Lord. We become acquainted with the fear of the Lord. Okay. So we talked about the demise of, you know, gathering plunder without having that heart change, without having the fear of the Lord in our lives, right? Because Israel didn't, they did not fear the Lord. They just kept asking and asking and gaining and gaining, and they just got fat on the plunder, right? To the point of erecting idols, while Moses was up on the mountain with the Lord, interacting with him like a friend does, right? And Israel's down melting things and creating things to worship and begging to be sent back to Egypt. Without the fear of the Lord, we're stupid. Can I just say it that plainly? We are. We're just idiots. We do dumb things. And so again, I want to say to you, we want nothing to do with a return, a plunder, an increase whatsoever until we have been thoroughly introduced to the fear of the Lord. Because we can't handle it. Okay, but on the flip side, when we rightly regard the Lord and we revere him as is necessary, then other things can happen. Let's go. Let's see. Where do we want to go? Did I not actually write this down? It's okay because I have it marked. We're going to, um, oh, there we go. We're going to First Chronicles 29. Oh, you guys, this is such, such a great story. Don't you love your Bible? I mean, sometimes I just want to, just like, I just want to kiss it. I love, I love the stories. I'm, I'm so thankful, so thankful that we have stories to go like scouring through to find the way, the way for us to live our lives. Okay, we're in First Chronicles 29, and you know, I, I just didn't know whether I should pick and choose pieces from this, but I'm just going to read it. Okay, so follow along. Then King David said to all the assembly, remember, David wanted to build the temple, but God's like, it's not, it's not yours to build. It'll be your son Solomon to build the temple. So this is on the backside of that. Then King David said to all the assembly, my son Solomon, God has chosen him alone. He's young and inexperienced. The task is great because the building will not be built for a human before the Lord. I do want to pause here because I need to say something. This is where we're at. This is where we're at in time right now, right? Like God has completely come in as a wrecking ball and he has taken our very platforms out from underneath of us. Rightfully so. Don't you agree? And we are in a space of ruins, which is fine. It's where he wants us to be. But I love this line. The task is great because the building will not be built for a human, but for the Lord God. So if we're really mindful and if we're thoroughly introduced to the fear of the Lord, that will be what's on the forefront of my mind, of our minds, is that I'm not doing this for myself and I'm not even doing this for the generations to come. I am doing this 
before the Lord God so that his kingdom can fully infiltrate this world because we want to see the glory of the Lord cover the whole earth like the waters cover the seas. That's what we want. And that takes the sons and daughters of glory to take their rightful place, which means we have to be thoroughly introduced to the fear of the Lord. The task is great because the building will not be built for a human, but for the Lord God. So to the best of my ability, I've made provision for the house of my God. Now, we have to stop and recognize that so much of what David had came from plundering, right? Like everywhere he went, there was a plundering that took place. In fact, the first king that Israel elected refused to plunder the way the Lord instructed. So the plundering is just as important as the rest of it. Okay? We we have to have the fear of the Lord to even do that right. We can't even take back what's ours without the fear of the Lord. We can't even do it right. We can't even steal right. <laughs> okay. So to the best of my ability, I've made provision for the house of my God, gold for the gold articles, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onyx stones for mounting, antimony stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones, and a great quantity of marble. Moreover, because of my delight in the house of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the house of my God over and above all that I provided for the holy house. 100 tons of gold and 250 tons of refined silver for, for overlaying the walls of the buildings, the gold for the gold work and the silver for the silver, for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now who will volunteer to consecrate himself to the Lord today? Whew. I feel like that's a question in the atmosphere. It's the question that's just like pulsating right before us. Who will volunteer to consecrate himself to the Lord today? Then the leaders of the households, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. For the service of God's house, they gave 185 tons of gold and 10,000 gold coins, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, and 4,000 tons of iron. Whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the Lord's house under the care of Jael, the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because of their leader's willingness to give. For they had given to the Lord wholeheartedly. And King David also rejoiced greatly. Isn't this so good? I mean, this is so good. Like instead of using their treasure to create idols, they are giving for, they, they choose. They're, they're going to consecrate themselves and they're giving to the house of the Lord because they see, right? They see the vision. They they feel that question pulsating in the atmosphere. Everything that I do is unto the Lord. They they understand the fear of the Lord and they understand that that they they want to have a space where they can go and commune with him on a regular basis. 
so exciting. Okay, then David's prayer in verse 10. Then David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. David said, may you be blessed, Lord God of our father Israel, from eternity to eternity. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty for everything in the heavens and on earth belongs to you. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom and you are exalted as head over all. Okay, we're going to take a praise break. We have to take a praise break on that one. Okay, I want you to just close your eyes and I want you to see him before you. His kingdom just forcefully coming down. Like it's forcing its way down upon you. And it's upon the praises of his people that he establishes his throne. So right now, I just want you to give him worth like David just did in this prayer. Like everything belongs to you. Everything. I see everything is yours, Lord. Are you doing it? Did you take a praise break? I have no idea where I left off. Verse 12, riches and honor come from you and you are the ruler of, of everything. Power and might are in your hand and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we give you thanks and praise and, and we praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people? that we should be able to give as generously as this. For everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. <laughs> For we're aliens and temporary residents in your presence as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord, our God, all this wealth that we've provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand. Everything belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and that you are pleased with what is right. I have willingly given all these things with an upright heart. And now I have seen your people who are present here giving joyfully and willingly to you. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our ancestors, keep this desire forever in the thoughts of the hearts of your people and confirm their hearts toward you. Give my son Solomon an undivided heart to keep and to carry out all your commands, your decrees, and your statutes, and to build the building for which I have made provision. Then David said to the whole assembly, Blessed be the Lord your God. So the whole assembly praised the Lord God of their ancestors. They knelt low and paid homage to the Lord and the king. The following day, they offered sacrifices to the Lord and burnt offerings to the Lord. A thousand bulls, a thousand rams, and a thousand lambs, along with their drink offerings and sacrifice in abundance for all of Israel. They ate and they drank with great joy in the Lord's presence that day. Hmm. This call to go low and to release all that we have into that house of the Lord, into the treasury of the Lord, will create great rejoicing on the backside of it. Just look at it. 
look at all that they did. Chris said the other day, I think it was on our, our Wednesday group, he was talking about the significant cost of all of the, the elaborate sacrifices that, that David did on behalf of the Lord. It wasn't necessary, necessarily something that God ordered him to do, but he carried with him the fear of the Lord. And so he knew what he was worthy of. This is why we need the fear of the Lord. This is why we need to be introduced thoroughly to the fear of the Lord in the season so that we can rightly honor who he is. I want him to have everything do his name. You know full well that one of my favorite, favorite, favorite anthems is that the Lamb of God is worthy to receive the reward of his suffering. He's so worthy. He's so worthy to receive the reward of his suffering. And in order for us to do that, rightfully, we need to be introduced thoroughly to the fear of the Lord. So Father, right now, I just ask that everything that is standing in our way, that is standing between us and the fear of the Lord, that you would move it. Right now, just command those things to move in your life. You must move. Get out of the way because we are making way. We are making space. We are making ample room for the fear of the Lord to invade, to intrude. Come into our house. Come into our houses. Fear of the Lord, you are welcome here. We are aching to be thoroughly introduced. Make way. Make way. You are welcome here. Just welcome him in whatever nation you're in. Welcome him into your nation. Fear the Lord, you are welcome in America. You are welcome in North America. Just welcome him into your nation. Welcome him into you. Welcome him into your house. And welcome him into your city. You're welcome here in Junction City. You are welcome here in America. You're welcome here in Kansas. Fear of the Lord, come and shake everything that can be shaken. We need you. We want you. We desire you. We're after wisdom. And we know that wisdom is found only in the fear of the Lord. And the understanding is only found in turning from evil. That's what we're after, God. Teach us to fully consecrate ourselves to you in our mind, in our souls, in our spirit, God. You are what we're after. You're what we need. We just thank you for these days of deliverance. We thank you for these days of deliverance. You're a good God. You're a good God. Search us. Holy Spirit, thoroughly examine us. We want nothing within us that doesn't welcome the fear of the Lord. Create in us a clean heart. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, friends. I love you very much. Love you very much. And I pray that your days are found in low places. Go low. Lower still.